everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 53, Ubuntu 12.04, finally, recorded May 20th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. We're probably the last show on the internet, the last Linux show to be looking at Ubuntu 12.04. It's only been out about a month, but in uh, Linux podcast world, that's a long, long time not to have reviewed a newest version of Ubuntu. So we're finally going to get around to it this week, or at least a couple of them are. I haven't even had a chance to look at it. So I will just be sitting back nodding silently a lot tonight. But the people who will be doing the talking are our good friends, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Howdy, Christopher. Hello, everyone. And Chris is on a clock tonight. He's got oh, uh, yeah. he's got roughly an hour to do the show. And would you like to tell people why that is? My power today evidently sucks. Maybe somebody's hitting the the power thing outside, or we got a storm brewing. But I've had my power flicker two or three times in the uh, ten minutes that we've been on pre-show, getting things hired up. So either my UPS is going to die, or I'm going to have power one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're running on borrowed time at the moment. And also with us this week, ensconced in secret places unknown, is the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hello, Seth. Hey, everybody. And not to be outdone, my bandwidth is still awful. Yes. If you had one of those voice modulator things on with the way your camera is right now, you could be somebody in the witness protection program. <laughs> well, or, you know, to everyone there listening... Yeah, to everyone listening live, I am in the witness protection. That's true. Program. Yeah, we, Seth sends me; he records his audio locally and uh, sends it to me, and I mix it in after the fact. But live, it's generally pretty terrible because he has enough bandwidth to send half a video conversation and maybe some audio here and there. That's about it. <laughs> if right. he's lucky. <laughs> he's got that that's funny he's, you're all backlit all you need is like a bright window in the background there we go <laughs> yeah i'm gonna lean back and raise my head towards the sky well it doesn't so. it doesn't help that you have that big crow magnet forehead you've got really deep eyeball sockets and so they they tend to cast shadows anyway you know i figure with my bandwidth being so bad i wasn't going to work what i had been doing for the past few weeks is going out into the auditorium and getting a lamp and bringing it in and setting it like right behind my laptop and so there's this lamp shining on me and i thought you know the bandwidth is so bad it's not going to make enough difference so i decided to go on natural today <laughs> it's the it's the the what the heck um, right that's the way we do things here at everyday linux <laughs> Uh, so, as we mentioned last week, Mr. Aaron Butler, the noob in residence, is no longer in residence. He is the noob ex parte. Um, he has he has moved on. Uh, he may be back. He may not. We'll just have to see well, how his schedule works out. Uh, and we've had a couple. Of, I, I said in the last show that uh, we might be uh, soliciting uh, new uh, new participants of the show. And I've had three people so far step up and say, you know, I'd like to maybe be on the show. So I'm thinking that maybe we need to have like a new host smackdown. Like we put them all in a cage together and throw in like a chair and a, a bicycle chain. And the, the one who crawls out gets to be on the show. What do you think about wait, that? Wait, you need to throw in a laptop too. Cause if it's going to be Linux, they have to be able to bash through everything. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw, you know, you've heard of table ladders and chairs. We have OS's servers and applications. <laughs> oh my. Let's so, get ready so, to rumble. Yeah, we just put them all in like a, like a, a cage, you know, made of chain link fence. And then we just start dropping random implements. Like we start the timer and they go. And then like at, at, at two minutes, we drop a hammer in. And then at three minutes, we drop a chair in. And at five minutes, we drop a, you know, a piano wire in. And just, you know, that way they get to, uh, to, to have some time to, to work things out. It'll truly be survival of the fittest. The right. rubber chicken comes in at 10 minutes, though. And since most Linux geeks are either 200 pounds overweight or 100 pounds underweight, uh, it should be really <laughs> interesting, uh, uh, compelling viewing. You know, I watched a uh, like a pride fighting matchup between like this hundred and fifty pound five foot guy 
and this like six or seven hundred pound sumo wrestler. And it was actually kind of funny to watch. So, uh, yeah, see, sumo wrestlers can do some damage if they can catch you. Right. So, yeah. He ended up losing because he couldn't catch the other guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like when you were playing Street Fighter and you had, uh, E Honda against the, <laughs> what was the Indian guy with the long reach? You Doug see the, awesome. the, the little, the little skinny Indian guy could punch E Honda and stay out of his reach. And and he could win every time. <laughs> right. That's taking you way back. That's how Seth and I misspent our college days. Uh, one of well, our other roommates brought in a Super Nintendo uh, gaming system with Super Street Fighter 2 on it, and all learning stopped for roughly an entire semester. Which, you know, before that it was foosball, so there really never yeah. was a lot of learning going on. But, you know, then we didn't even have to leave the house. We, we could just right. go to the living room. And, and there were days when we literally, I mean, there were six guys who lived in this house. And there were days when all six of us would only leave the living room to, like, eat and grab a sandwich. I mean, uh, go to the bathroom and grab a sandwich. And then they'd come right back. And the, 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 the Super Street Fighter tournaments were epic. <laughs> Chun-Li, um... my favorite character. Yeah, Seth just ah. liked her digital boobs. Now, I'm, I was the one-button wonder, and you just did the thunder kick, hit that kick button as fast as you can, and jump around and try to dodge fireballs. Yeah, the one-button yeah. wonder. That's awesome. And then you work up your skills, and you think you're pretty good, and you go to an arcade. Kids today don't know about arcades. There are, there, there are some around, but they're not like they used to be. So you go there, and you plunk down your quarter, and this little four-foot Asian guy just whips you like you've never played the game before. Yep. Yep. Of course, the sad thing was I was the little Asian guy, but I'm not Asian and I'm not little, but I was the guy who'd be uh, the resident Street Fighter guy in my hometown, so it was kind of fun. That guy who pops in his quarter and plays all day on other people's quarters for the rest of the day? At least most of all day. Until somebody found the handcuff trick from Guile. We had that. We had the old arcade box, the one that had a, there's a glitch where if you get hit with, uh, what was it, a flash kick, and then you had to hold down or something like that, and it would stop the player from moving. Oh, I never knew about that one. Yeah, it was, an, it was a neat little hack. Or I yeah, shouldn't we, say hack, it was a neat little glitch. glitch yeah. yeah, we were too busy coming up with names. Like, we called his move the pimp slap. You know, he does the <laughs> whap. That was pimp slapping guile. All right. I think we've spent far more than enough time on that. Uh, Let's move on to a little bit of listener mail. In fact, we have two pieces of mail from the same guy, Joe. Uh, And Joe uh, says, I've been listening to and enjoying your Everyday Linux and Tightwad Tech podcast. If you haven't checked that one out, uh, do so. And uh, recently heard a couple of things about video editing software and hardware selection for a new Linux box that I plan to build soon. On the Taiwan Tech about a year and a half ago, you went over several Linux video editors and recommended a few. I'm leaning toward KDE, KDN Live, but haven't yet looked at OpenShot. I'd like to try them out, but I wanted to know which processor and video cards would work best in Linux. In an Everyday Linux podcast, a listener wrote in uh, and mentioned that he was, that Linux was not playing well with his Sandy Bridge processor. I don't remember that email, but I'll just, I'll say yes. Um, my local computer shop gave me conflicting advice. Uh, one guy says AMD all the way, especially for Linux. The other guy says that for video editing, Intel is a much better choice and will render much faster than an AMD Phenom 2. Also, I've not been able to find out on the interwebs which technology, OpenGL uh, from ATI or CUDA from NVIDIA, uh, is used for any of the Linux video editors. I haven't heard you make specific hardware recommendations, but I'd appreciate you uh, being pointed down the right path to find the information I need to make a decision. I don't want to buy the wrong video card or pay the premium for Intel if the Sandy Bridge chips have issues in Linux. Learning a lot. Thanks. uh, And enjoying the podcast. Thanks, Joe. And then I'm going to go ahead and, before we do there, I'm going to go ahead and read a second email. Okay. uh, Because it was a follow up. He said, I just uh, listened to the most recent podcast from Everyday Linux, and you mentioned that your laptop is a Core i7. Unless that was a theoretical laptop, I suppose that answers my question about the Sandy Bridge processors playing well with Linux. I did try Ubuntu on an old machine that was not, and was not terribly impressed, but it may not have been fair uh, test since the old machine was likely a handicap. 
I'm interested to see how other distros would work on a higher-end machine. I want to run my current box, an AMD Dual Core from 2007. I want to turn it into a Linux box to tinker with. And I want to build a new machine for a replacement family computer. I plan to have the new machine built as a dual boot with Windows 7 and Linux. Uh, and I would forgo Windows, but the rest of the family enjoys Netflix. I'm sure the core i5 and i7 would be just fine, but I don't want to pay the, pay the price premium if it will not make much of a difference with video editing in Linux. I understand if you don't make hardware recommendations, and I suppose that's an uh, occupational hazard in your line of work. Thanks for the podcasts. So uh, now, Seth, you may go. I was going to say um, a few, I guess it's been a month or so ago, I remember a news article about the Sandy Bridge processors in Linux that uh, we covered on the show. And uh, it was talking about some issues, but then there were some feedback in that article where people had said they weren't having issues. So I don't know if that's what he's referring to. I think what he's referring to is um, the Sandy Bridge version 1 issue that they had. That you know, with the uh, corruption of the hard drives when you were using a 6 gigabit hard drive on a three gigabit channel or, or vice versa. Uh, but now that we're in the third generation of Sandy bridge, I don't think we'll have, I don't think that issue ha comes up as problem. All right. And uh, I consulted where I generally go. There's two places where you can go. Uh, if you want to know about Linux hardware, there's the Linux hardware compatibility list, uh, which you can just Google that. There are a couple places that do that. But uh, one of my favorite hardware vendors for Linux is a company called System76. Yep. And uh, this yep. isn't an necessarily an endorsement for them. Uh, I tried to get them to come on the show, but uh, they haven't answered my responses, my emails. But uh, System76 uh, builds high-end and low-end, but, uh, but in this case, I'm looking at high-end uh, laptop and desktops. And they use uh, Intel processors and NVIDIA uh, video cards. So because that's their whole business and because they offer a big warranty on it, I'm going to say that's the best way to go. If a company who's literally staking their reputation on it uses that combination, that's the way I would go as well. See, I was going to also say that Intel and NVIDIA are the way I would go. Um, just from personal experience with NVIDIA, uh, I've had a couple of small hiccups with their, the NVIDIA drivers. Most of them are very mild. Um, especially if you're going to be running any of the Ubuntu's or Fedora based distros. Uh, I'm not too sure if um, OpenSUSE has fixed the issues that I had with N NVIDIA drivers or not. Um, I'll try that on the next version that they release. But uh, as far as you know, worrying about Sandy Bridge, I wouldn't worry about Sandy Bridge at all. The newest versions of, of Intel, Sandy Bridge is the Core i5s and i7s you would uh, experience no problems with for doing video processing. And same thing, um, I have a CUDA chipset in my laptop, and it functions okay with the video editing. Um, I don't see much benefit having a CUDA processor, but that just might be because I didn't know how to initialize the CUDA processors. So I didn't have any problems with KDN Live, and... The only thing I would recommend that if you're going to use KDN Live as your video editor, be sure to use it in a KDE environment. Otherwise, you'll have a little bit of a memory overhead um, having a KDE program running inside your GNOME desktop. Yeah, because then you've got to uh, load up the QT library inside a GNOME uh, environment. And yeah, there is an extra overhead there. It's not significant, but when you're dealing with real-time video editing, uh, not significant takes on a whole different uh, meaning. Right. So I don't know what it is that you plan to do. If you're just doing, you know, family wedding videos, you know, just cutting together the stuff that you took on your cell phone, then uh, it'll be fine. If you're looking to do high-end, uh, uh, you know, 1080p uh, rendering, then you're going to need to squeeze every little bit of performance you can uh, out of a machine. And um, the NVIDIA drivers are slightly less supported than the AMD drivers uh, in the video world. But it, it's a small difference, but there there is a difference, and it's worth noticing. And just one thing to point out, because you are talking about new hardware, 
anytime there is new hardware, there is a lag between when the new hardware comes out and the Linux community develops an adequate driver base for it. So, you know, even when something you heard about Sandy Bridge a couple of months ago is probably not going to hold true today. And whenever they come out with their flopping awesome two chipset, you know, it'll be a month or two before the Linux world is formally behind it or whatever they want to call their next chipset. Just something to keep in mind whenever you, because a lot of times, oh, Linux doesn't work with this. And so six months later, when you're searching the internet, you find this article and think, oh, Linux doesn't work with that. But right. look at the date. So. Yeah. And, and in my day job, I am in charge of purchasing, you know, hundreds to thousands of computers on a regular basis. And uh, years ago, I decided that the Intel uh, processor and the NVIDIA uh, video card or the Intel video card uh, was the best way to go for, you know, if it's not a high end station, the Intel integrated uh, HD uh, graphics card is, is awesome uh, for just a regular desktop. If you need, you know, high end gaming or something like that, uh, I have just, I don't buy anything but at work anyway, I don't buy anything but Intel and NVIDIA. Um, at home, I've got some AMD stuff and, and it's fine, but I don't have to necessarily support that. And I don't have hundreds of them out there, but it's just in my experience over the 15 plus years that I've been doing this, uh, Intel is more reliable and, and there's a reason it costs a little more. It's actually worth it. Yeah. This coming from the tightwad in cheap in chief in cheap too. the cheap chief. So there you go. That's a, a rather long look at uh, listener uh, feedback. And thanks for that, Joe. We appreciate the feedback uh, and we need more of it. Uh, we, we uh, like we've often said, this is a user driven show. And so we appreciate uh, your feedback. And also, as uh, as I mentioned earlier, I sort of skipped over this, but I had it in the notes. Um, when, when we were talking about the new host, uh, tell us, folks. What direction do you want this show to go? I, I totally glossed over that. I was ready to get out of the Street Fighter commentary. Um, but uh, as we look at uh, where we're going to go here with, with Aaron's departure, there are really three ways we can go about it. We can just stick with the three of us doing what we're doing right now and do that forever um, or for the foreseeable future anyway. We can bring in a new noob, somebody who speaks to... Um, the new user entirely, Aaron, uh, you know, that was his job. Uh, he didn't use Linux on a regular basis. He didn't have a lot of uh, uh, Linux um, experience, and that made him the perfect noob. He never outgrew it because he wasn't gaining experience because he wasn't using it much. Uh, so we can bring on somebody that has that mindset, or we can go ahead and, and get, you know, an expert type person. Um, but my but what would happen there is the show would inv invariably diverge and it would be less new user friendly and more hardcore now some of the feedback we've gotten in the past is we want more hardcore stuff and i get that uh, but we've also had an equal amount of feedback this is the th the reason i like your show is that it's accessible to the new user so uh we want to hear from you what do you think uh is the best direction to take the show do we bring in a new noob do we bring in a new expert or do we just stick with the three of us the triumvirate if you will so uh that's two assignments i've given you uh give us some feedback on that and send us your questions like joe did and we will uh spend uh, 15 minutes answering them which is great for us because it's show filler <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing else i was gonna say you know joe when you get done working with your different versions of the video editor why don't you send us a note and let us know what you think of each one of them? That'd be a nice little um, listener spotlight episode. There you go. Yeah, listener spotlight and a follow up for someone outside of the uh, try of us that has played with, you know, a, another video editor. Besides, you know, I, I don't think Seth, did you ever play with any of the video editors when we looked at them? No, not really. Because I, yeah. I can't come up with any. I just don't care about editing video. <laughs> That's been a very slow area to develop. There are a couple of companies that are promising big things on the horizon and have been since the Clinton administration. So, you know, there's really, um, the, there's just not there. there. The market isn't there for them to, to pander to in a big corporate way. 
uh, nor is there enough people interested in the the pure open source way to get some real traction. So video editing uh, on Linux has been a big um, shortfall. And until something like, like until Shuttleworth decides that's what he's going to focus on, and I think it will. He's had these uh, different focuses that Ubuntu has done. He's had, uh, you know, a focus on the boot process. One time for, for three releases total, that was their thing. Make the boot process better. And then recently he's been tweaking the desktop. And I think that at some point uh, uh, the Shuttleworth Foundation may throw their considerable assets toward video editing because that's one of the big um, – weak spots in Linux right now. But until that happens, until somebody uh, with some some power and some and some capital throws their uh, attention at it or until somebody else um, decides to open source their existing stuff, I just don't see a lot of, of hardcore video editing happening in Linux. I'd like to see that, but I don't see it right now. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. <laughs> yeah, and we had a question in the chat room uh, about... Uh, you know, the different users, a paranoid shell says, why not have both a noob and a new expert? Uh, because I don't want five people on the show that gets unwieldy. Four is, is, is a lot, uh, four voices, four things to manage. That's a lot to listen to. And it's a lot to edit. Uh, and with five, I think voices get lost on a regular basis. So I'm pretty well capping it at, <laughs> at four, uh, if that many. So there we go. And we also have some comments in the chat room saying that Blender is good for video editing. I totally disagree. Blender can do video editing. Is that what it's made for? Absolutely not. It's it's for video creating. There's a whole different thing. If you want to render 3D objects and move them around, Blender is awesome about that. If you want to import some video and edit it around, Blender is not good for that. That's my opinion. Any other comments on that, guys? I've never yes. tried to use Blender. Yes, Rateo, I have tried to use it. I have. Now, admittedly, it was a long time ago. Maybe it's matured since then. But it's not. it was not in any way an intuitive or... Um, uh, what's Linear? The, what's the, well, no, it's, sim- it's not simple, but uh, it's an intuitive... It wasn't fast. <laughs> it wasn't something that you could do lightweight, something you had to really throw yourself into. And most people don't want that. They just want to clip together a couple of pieces of video. Right. Anyway, enough ranting. I, see, you guys got me on my soapbox already. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you stay up there. It's so hard to knock you off of it. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there we go. Uh, now, uh, no, wait, Linux News. See, I, I totally lost my place. Uh, we There wasn't a lot of Linux news this week, but we did have some. So, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, uh, take it away. Yeah, there. I really went looking. And, of course, you know, it is Linux. So, about every hour, there is either a brand new distribution being launched or a distribution being updated or a promise of an update. So, you could, you could feel every... You can feel the whole day talking about all of that. And to me, unless it's a major one, those really aren't big deals. So I went looking for Linux and open source news. And I don't know, apparently they're getting ready for the summer and uh, taking a break because there just was not a lot out there. So I did find a couple of stories um, to talk about. One of them is just to prove that there is a Linux distribution out there for you. Um there's this website I came across a, a while back ago. It's called Make Use Of. And um, there's lots of good information there and lots of fun stuff to read. And I found this article that um, it's uh, four strange and disturbing Linux distros <laughs> <laughs> you probably won't be installing. And the first one is the Ubuntu Satanic <laughs> Linux. <laughs> Crazy. Ubuntu Satanic Edition. So, um, Apparently, the one thing that's satanic about it is the uh, color scheme they try to use that makes it very hard to see. Um, but And, of course, almost entirely unreadable fonts because that's cool. Right. Um, it, it just it wasn't so much that, like, you know, worship the devil and all of that. It's just kind of – it has, like, you know, when you think satanic, you think black and red and heavy metal music and zombies and stuff like that. So they throw a little bit of that in there. Um, but – 
it's more just like a wall a heavy metal themes and pentagram wallpaper so it's just a cool name and i think that's what they were um they were looking on to just get some traction was the ubuntu satanic edition so uh and he made one uh part in there that says um it doesn't go down too well in the web's christian circles which i thought was really funny um yeah ubuntu so. satanic edition 666.10 necrophiliac neuromancer yeah <laughs> so you know it, for those of you kids out there, you want to freak your parents out, download a live CD of Ubuntu Satanic Edition and stick it in like the CD drive the next time your parents boot up their machine. Have a lot of fun. Um, it just goes to prove that people are stupid and in mass numbers, people will be stupid around just about anything. But, you know, having, having talked about that one, I think I would rather see that one <laughs> over... Hannah Montana Linux. Yes, if you gave me the choice and said you must pick one of these to run as your Linux desktop forever, I would go with Satanic Edition over Hannah Montana. Yeah, wow. so, uh, you know, and the goal of the Hannah Montana Edition is to kind of uh, introduce young children to Linux, so I could see where that would go over popular with preteen <laughs> pre girls. If you want to introduce them to Linux, just slap a Hannah Montana logo on it. You know, and make some gaudy colors. So apparently, either they're ripping off the icons or they got some type of licensing thing from Disney because it has a Miley Cyrus's picture on it and the Hannah Montana logo in a couple of different places. And Chris, you'll be happy to know it runs KDE. That's yes. my good thing about the whole thing. At least it runs. K At least it runs a good distro or a good backend, so you could rip that uh, horrible <laughs> eye offending colors away. And go back to something normal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so uh, the next one is kind of the, uh, it's called the Red Star OS, and it is the North Korean version of Linux that hooks up to their own private little web that you can't access from anywhere else in the world. Um, it has like a modified version of Firefox, and uh, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the names, but it is in Korean, and it also uses KDE3. Um Wow, so uh, three. Wow. Yes. But yeah, yes. they're they're up on the cutting edge there in North Korea. Yeah, because uh, they're you know, all I don't dying know. playing video games. <laughs> you know, you're oh, thinking wait, of South Korea. Loud. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking of South Korea. You know, um, oh, North Korea. Right. They have to they have to pull their resources for a town computer. Um, and the last one is just kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but it's apartheid <laughs> Linux. So, um, GNU Linux for the racist idiots is their tagline. And actually, it shows for proud whites, and then the person who did the article scratched it out and put racist idiots. So, are you sure that's not their logo, or uh, that maybe they really did that? I, you know, I honestly don't know, but um, no, I'm pretty sure apartheid is GNU Linux for proud whites. Yeah, and the oh yeah, and the writer of the article called it racist idiots. Apartheid Linux, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so you know, um, again, that's there's and you know, it comes with even, Tor installed, so at least they're concerned about security. Right. Wow. And I remember security. reading, I remember reading an article a while back. There was a Halil Linux for all the Muslims <laughs> out there. So, uh, and of course, there is the uh, there is the Ubuntu Christian edition. I have seen that in the past as well. So if if you are a person and a member of any fringe group of society or non-fringe group, there is a Linux for you. Trust me. Somewhere. And if there's not, by the time this show comes out, somebody will have compiled one. Um, they are growing fast. Or so you anyway, can I just, compile your own. Right. Um, I just thought it would be a kind of a humorous look at the, uh, the fracturing of the Linux community. Um, what did y'all think about that, guys? That was pure awesome, Seth. You know like what's I slow said, news week when you come up with odd off-the-wall articles? Well, and it was very slow. The other story I wanted to talk about, you know, we've talked about Raspberry Pi several times on the news. And not to be outdone, there is now an Android version that it's like a $74 thing. And it's about the same size. It's about the size of a flash drive, uh, 1.5. 5 gigahertz processor, 512 megs of RAM. Tiny, tiny thing. Um, but again, it's, instead of Raspberry Pi, 
you can now have an Android and do all your little kits and stuff on. So, uh, and it's called the All Winner Edition. The All Winner, uh, uh, just All Winner. I, I guess there's not anything else that you call it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's a nice little mini PC. Uh, I thought it was cool. You know, I guess apparently, you know, we always say competition is good. So, uh, forcing Raspberry Pi to innovate, here comes Android to the marketplace. So, you know, we don't want to. And before you know, there will be Satanic Pi. (laughs) Right. Or Hannah Montana Pi. Oh. uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) Chris, I know you have daughters, or at least a daughter. So, you know, you know what it's like. Yeah, and she's three, and yet it's still that bad. Yes. So. <laughs> Rateo yeah, in the chat room says, how about world. Sweetie Pie? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. There you go, Rateo. There's your million-dollar idea. So, yeah. Um, Hardware that rots teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. That's why we like having a live audience. That's right. I, actually, that's kind of cool. I mean, if you want an underpowered processor that can't really do anything, Dude, that you got plenty of stuff out there. Um, I don't know why you would want that. I, that's why I don't get the Raspberry Pi. I mean, it's it's it can't really do much, but we're super excited about it. Right. Um. I I I don't know what it can do or couldn't do, but um. Oh, I know. I just made a lot of people mad. There are lots of guys just seething through their retainer right now because I insulted the Raspberry Pi. You know, well, I don't see a, a use for it, but I'm sure somebody else would find a good one. So it'd be interesting to see what the community comes up with for Raspberry Pi. I mean, I get, is it, could you not look at it as kind of a gateway to embedded devices? You know, it's big enough that you can program and do stuff on it, but it's small enough that if you can get stuff to work on that, it would probably go good in embedded devices, maybe. Yeah, I you know, I get that, but then why wouldn't they be selling it wholesale instead of selling it to end users? Cuz they got to generate that groundswell grassroots drive. I I don't know. All right. Enough of that. I I sense a holy war brewing. Can you smell that? I smell a flame war. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I smell I smell burnt geek coming. <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, let's talk about Ubuntu 12.04, their latest long-term release, uh, where they're all excited about the new uh, Unity interface and the uh, the stuff and things that go with it. So, one, two, three, go. Well, I, um, you know, I've been running, I think, eleven something on my netbook, and so I went ahead and I upgraded and. Honestly, if you're just looking at it, it looks pretty much the exact same. So uh, from the previous version, I hear that there's a lot of enhancements under the hood and stuff. But um, what I first did was I first upgraded from that to the current to uh, 1204. And I got to say, it took forever to upgrade. I mean, you can upgrade to Windows 7 from Windows 3.1.1 faster. Then, uh, but anyway, and so I used it for a little bit, and then the wireless stopped, and it it just it went away, and took all traces of wireless networking off of the computer with it. So I thought, well, okay, maybe it was because it was an upgrade, and you know sometimes it doesn't go right. So I burned, you know, I uh, I reformatted, popped in the CD, and did a clean install, and uh, booted it up. And I got to say, it installed a lot faster than it upgraded. And, you know, and again, I look at this, I tried to say, okay, if I'm somebody who doesn't, I'm not a under the hood kind of, like, I just want to get in the car and go somewhere and I don't want to be the mechanic that has to work on the car. So I just want to get in my computer. I want to get on my computer and I want to do stuff and I don't want to have to, like, fix it and tweak it and stuff. So that's the way I approach this one. Um, you know, while back when I talked about Mego and how great it was for a netbook, one of the things I didn't like was it would not play all of the different media formats I have. Because, you know, I have Flash and WMV and MP3 and things like that that I've acquired from various places. And so one good thing, um, I plugged it in. It recognized them all. Um, one, some weird things is whenever I closed out of the program to stop the song, the song kept playing. 
and so if you're used to Windows Media it Player, plays media files so well it can't stop playing them. Yes, it <laughs> knows I wanted to hear the whole song, and it refuses to give in to the urge I had to stop it. Um, but you know, uh, the interface just with the the default installs are not the user interface isn't as intuitive or kind of click friendly, for lack of a better word, as Windows Media Player or VLC would be on a Windows box. I mean, you could get in there and you you could do things with it. It just, you had to look around for the menus. And so, but like I say, I was very pleased that I was able to get all of my, uh, it was able to play all the different formats I have that I threw at it. Um, and it, it has Firefox installed, so I'm happy about Firefox. I can watch YouTube videos, flash sites, things like that. I go there and to me, there's really no difference once you're in the web browser from Linux and Windows. Uh, I, I did not notice. Unless, you know, I don't use IE. So, again, it, that's just a lateral move. It's just the same thing as sitting down at a different computer. I didn't have a problem with it. But one thing, it happened again on this. I was um, I was actually, you know, downloading the first round of updates. Um, and all of a sudden, I just lost connection to the Internet. And I was like, what? It still shows I'm connected, but I wasn't able to get anywhere. So, I thought... If this were a Windows machine, I would go into the control panel and I would disable and re-enable the wireless adapter. Well, when I turned off wireless networking again, it went away. And again, it took all traces from the system. And so I spent hours upon hours trying to figure out how to get it back. And I got to say, I was very disappointed with the um, support community because I found this article and I was going through this article and halfway halfway through the article it says, Oh, by the way, this is for an unsupported version of Linux that or it's for an unsupported version of Ubuntu. Um, it turns out it was like for Ubuntu four or something. They couldn't have said that at the beginning of the article. They had to say it halfway down. And so it was looking for information on the web for the current version of Ubuntu was very, very hard to do. Um, and I, I never was able to get it to find it. You know, the software and things I already had on there, you know, I, I could play them when I plugged in my cable um, for a wired connection. It picked up and it ran with no problem with that. But um, support is, you know, we always say go to the forums. And I was just looking around for what was there. It was just, it was just hard. Uh, it was hard to find. And I never figured out the wireless. I... I did not want to try to compile my own driver, so I found an article that walked through that. But I just like, I don't, I don't want to have to do that, and I wouldn't want somebody I told to try Ubuntu to have to do that to get it to work. So um, as far as the interface, you know, the the ribbon down the side, clicking on things, they've made it harder to get to the underneath. You know, you got to click a couple of times to get down into like a control panel thing. But um, as far as programs and applications, a lot of what there is really good. But when you have an issue, it's it's harder to find help and support than it is for a Windows. And again, I'm just running. I just installed the, the CD. I didn't go and I didn't try to put in a different desktop or a different interface or anything like that. I just did. I looked at it from again. I'm a. I'm a computer user, not a computer tech, and I just want to put this in and run it. So that's what I did, and that's kind of the attitude I took as I launched the different programs. It comes with LibreOffice, um, LibreOffice 3, which I think is a fine word processing program, uh, you know. So, and the stuff that's in there I think is really good, but whenever something does not work right, and I found online where this is a problem with uh 1204 sometimes your wireless works for a while and then stops and apparently if i just would have rebooted it would have worked for about another five minutes and then stopped so that's just kind of my first thoughts of going through it i don't know if i went if i so what do y'all think or your comments on it or anything like that well i just i just want to say that uh to remind our listeners that seth is speaking for you know the gooey people out there he is the gooey kid so um <clears throat> if you're out there you know saying well well that's easy that's just empire and you just have to go to here and do that that that's not what he's talking about he wants to know can you use the dang thing out of the box yeah i want um, to 
I don't want to give this to the guy across the the desk from me who also does computer support. I want to give this to my mom or my brother who I know it's my brother. I know my brother has a computer problem because he calls me. You know, I want to be able to just give him this and and have it work, not give him this and then spend a couple of hours with him swapping out programs. Well, all so, you have to do is open the command line and, and go into <laughs> uh, run a, a, a Vim session and open up this uh, config file and, and comment out the, the 15th line uh, from the bottom uh, and, and, and replace it with uh, a line similar to it, but but with three colons instead of only two. And, and, and then your uh, wireless will come right, right back. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and again, that, so yeah, I, I wanted, I was like, from the end user's perspective and not from a technician's perspective. So I tried to dumb down my troubleshooting a little bit for this because, again, somebody who is at my level or above, well, yeah, I mean, obviously we know where to go and we know what to do to look for stuff, but somebody else doesn't necessarily know that. So. All right, Chris, what are your impressions so far? Well, I installed both the GNOME version and the XFCE version on my box at work just to see how well it would work in my work environment and also to play with the new Unity HUD interface. Um, I, I will admit that the GNOME version only lasted installed for about three <laughs> hours, and I quickly removed it because it's a piece of crap. Um I am not a fan of Unity. Uh, I've said that many a times before. I'm also not a fan of GNOME 3, so I'm I'm biased against both of them for a reason. I think they're piles of junk. Um, but anyway, I did play with it for about three hours to see what I thought of it. Um, the underpinnings have been fixed for most of the point. Um, it does seem to be a little quicker when it comes to the, having the windows open or the, the Unity interface to slide open so you can get to everything. It's not too shabby. Um, I could see how a new user might get a little lost jumping through things. The uh, new HUD is nice when it works. There's too many apps, though, that don't support HUD. So it's kind of confusing when you try to, wait, where's that menu option now? Because it's not where it's supposed to be. That that kind of is broken for me. Um the software center, uh, I've heard so many people rave about it, but I think it's a pile of junk. Again, um, Synaptic works so much better. Uh, it's so much quicker to find some of those deep down libraries. So if you need to find Fuse, you can't find it in the software center. You have to go and expand the software center search to search for other things. Where in Synaptic or using AppGit, you just AppGit, you know, Fuse and away it goes. So that's. I still think they need to work on the software center. You know, even having an option for advanced users to turn something on, you know, say this is the default software center for mom and dad, but if you need the more in-depth software center, turn this thing on and you have that more advanced software center, that would be a much better option. Yeah, just I just want to point out here the difference between Chris and Seth here. Uh, Seth likes, I'm, I'm going to speak for him, likes the software center because it is easy and it's, you know, one button install and, and some of the options are taken away. And that's the direction that Ubuntu is moving. It's moving yeah. into that. And so what you're seeing is uh, they've missed the mark from both ends. It's not ready for grandma and the command line godfather doesn't like it either. Uh, so they're, they're kind of missing both markets right now. And, you know, I know sh- uh, the Shuttleworth Foundation will move it along it will get better they have been perfecting things as they move along but right now um it's kind of a swing and a miss from both angles right and my, yeah. one of my biggest issues i have with the soft center sorry sorry about that seth but i gotta get this off my chest before i just pop uh, the big thing i have about this the it's one of the biggest pet peeves i have about the software center is the fact that you can't install tick a bunch of them that you want to install and then let it do its thing you have to wait Install one, and then wait. Install number two, and then wait. Install number three, and then wait. Just let me select five at a time, and I'll be happy. So that's where I wish there was an ability to turn on tick boxes or something like that. So then you could say, I want these six things installed, and poof, there that goes. Now, I did not do that this time, but I know with the previous long-term release, that's what I did. I found... 
I went, I was like, okay, I just want to throw some games on here. So I found like 10 games and I just clicked and it took a while, but it started downloading them and then it started installing them. And like, I even, when I was troubleshooting, I even went down to the command line and did some app get stuff, but it took me forever to figure out where the terminal was. So, yep. uh, I had, you know, it, it was hard to get to, but then once I got to it, then, you know, app get blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and then uh, I just I watched the downloading done thing. Yeah. Seth, that's pseudo apt-get blah, blah, blah. Right. And I, I did. The command I saw was apt-get, but I knew to put pseudo in front of it. So <laughs> I was I was proud of myself. Well, congratulations, Seth. You're, we're going to get you into the command line more often or not. Um, a couple other things I had an issue with is the fact that Flash is soon to be stopped supported for Linux. But that's not a Ubuntu issue. That's just in general. Um, Ubuntu. Whatever. I personally don't care. So anyway, uh, yes, Adaptude is better. Um, a paranoid shell. But uh, it's still okay, I suppose. Uh, the other question I raised, though, is Chrome going to be the new Firefox for most Linux installs or Chromium? Because it has the built-in Flash support and the built-in Java support. Uh, I'm seeing a couple of distros that are starting to move that way. Are we going to see Firefox drop off of the Linux charts? Now, what I think will happen is, uh, uh, you know, Chrome has their own Flash implementation. And I think that when uh, uh, Mac, uh, when Adobe stops, I said Macromedia, that's how old I am. When Adobe stops doing Flash on Linux, they will just become the bearers of that torch and they'll probably break that out and offer the libraries. That That's what I think will happen. Yeah, I do too, but I think that's where we're going to be. I think we're going to be on that crossroads here pretty soon because sooner or later, you know, Flash is going to be, is going to be continue to be upgraded and we're going to be left in the dust. And I think Chrome and Google are going to be the only ways Linux people are going to get the versions of Flash that we need. Unless, you know, HTML5, HTML5 kills Flash, but that's yet to be seen. The other thing... That I think we're still a long way from that. I do too. But that's what it's looking like, at least in my opinion. And the other thing I found is that Bluetooth audio is still broken. Um, it's been broken for six months now. And I was hoping maybe that the new version of Ubuntu would have the pulse audio changes to make it fixed. They don't either. So you can't get your Bluetooth headsets to work with Linux in any way. Um, they'll send audio, but they won't receive. I know that's not a, a, a Ubuntu issue, but it's a Linux issue. Um, I know there's a, a Pulse Audio 2.0 supposed to be shortly down the road that's supposed to fix all this, but why was this released half broken or not even the ability to install the new Pulse Audio um, uh, installs either? Uh, I thought that was kind of strange that it's released at the week before the show started. It was released and not available yet in any of the software centers or as a PPA. Um, that just frustrates me to no end because I live with my Bluetooth headset on my head. And and so I think what we've heard here is that uh, it's really not that different from what you already had. No. Stuff that didn't work before still doesn't work. Uh, and they, I'm sure there are a lot of things, if you go through the change log, there are lots of things they did fix, but none of them seem to be the big stuff that people care about. It's the stuff on the back end that's maybe developer-centric or maybe it's a stability thing here and there. And I think maybe... Which is what long-term... Oh, sorry, Mark. I was going to say, most of the time, this is what long-term fixes... Or the long-term releases are for. It's for those back-end fixes to make stability level better because otherwise it's not a long-term release. So this would right. be a lackluster release, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and that's that's... That's sort of the goal of a long-term support is we, we get things stable and then we put our stick in the ground and we say that's it. So, I mean, I could go back to, you know, the last three long-term supports. They've all been ho-hum releases and that's by design. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so that means don't run out and grab it. It's not going to change your world. Uh, but, you know, it is something that you're going to want to, if I'm building a server, something that I'm not going to tweak I'm going to build it and it's going to be there. Uh, you know, 1204 is where I'm going to go because, uh, 
It's the most stable version they have right now. They don't necessarily have all the end user stuff yet, but that's not what they're working on. The end user stuff will come uh, on the next one, which is, you know, 12.10. And then, you know, they'll start aggressively working on that stuff. And that's the Ubuntu cycle. That's the Debian cycle. That's just the the way they do things. Oh, yeah. I I totally agree. This release would be perfect for someone who is moving up and all they're jumping from is long-term release to long-term release. Perfect move for you. Um, if you're going from the previous release, I would almost say skip this one because the only thing you're going to get out of it, um, maybe upgrade to it, but don't clean install for this one because you're not going to get much change out of it other than a little more rock solidness. Yeah, and I would say, uh, just to echo Seth's experience, I have never had a good experience upgrading Ubuntu. It works. It does work, and it'll go, and it'll save everything, but it's going to take longer, and it's not going to give you the same level of performance. It will. Everything will be slower from then on out. That's my experience. Every time I've tried to upgrade any Linux distro, not just Ubuntu, anytime I've tried to do an upgrade, um, in upgrade, in place upgrade, uh, the the upgrade process took longer, and then everything from there on out took longer. I don't know why that is. Uh, but but it's true in Windows too. I don't do uh, Windows upgrades. I've never tried. I don't never done it on a Mac. But I would assume it's probably very similar there too. If at all possible, wipe it out and start over. And if you've done what every Linux uh, guy has told you since the beginning of time and put your home directory on a different partition, that's a relatively painless process. You just have to reinstall some software. Uh, but for the most part, all your stuff, all your settings, your backgrounds, your bookmarks, all that stuff is saved. So that's the way you should go. That's the my story, and I'm sticking to it. The other option you'd have is if you don't want to do the nuke and pave option every time a new release comes out, is move to a rolling release progr- product. Um, but Arch. <laughs> yeah, Arch, or there's a Linux, there's a Mint version that's a rolling release, but that brings a whole new level of issues that you could run into. So if you're going to go that route, be careful. Yeah. I, for the regular person, and that's the idea of the show, right? We want regular oh, people yeah. to use Linux. Right. For the regular person, that's just not the way to go. Um, and upgrades are fine. It will work and it will do fine. And I, uh, the last laptop I had, I upgraded it three times, uh, and just did in place upgrades each time. But I noticed a definite performance hit every time I did it. Was it enough that, uh, I went back and, and wiped it out? No, I lived with it, but it was something that I noticed each time it happened. Mark, when you did those in place upgrades, did you ever notice it coming back to speed after a couple of upgrade runs? You know, like after a couple of weeks of updates. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember specifically one way or the other. Okay, it, maybe it did. Maybe that's why I was able to live with it. I don't know. That, well, that's what I was always wondering because I I always thought that if it did slow down, I wonder if maybe a couple of releases later down the pipe would fix any of those performance issues. Um, but I could be blowing smoke too. Yeah, I, I just don't remember. Uh, and I, I haven't been use, using Linux for almost a year now because at the time, the laptop that I'm using right now d- didn't have support for stuff. And so I uh, just sort of never went back to it. So I, I you know, maybe I will try with uh, Ubuntu 12.04 and then maybe not. Jeez, Mark, can't use Linux? What the heck? <laughs> well, it's one of the things... It's one of the things I've always said. I, I've uh, I've maintained for a long time now that it really is a lateral move from one to the other. That you don't gain a lot and you don't lose a lot when you move back and forth between Windows and, and Linux. Um, and so I, I stand by that. I'm just being intellectually honest. There's no reason right now for me to go to to Linux other than just because I want to use Linux. Uh, and you know, I just don't care that much. I know I'm on a Linux show. Shoot, so sue me. And the papers are in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I I hear, you know, people say, you know, I get more performance out of my computer. I, uh, I can, I can do more. It's all about freedom. And, and that's fine. There's all sorts of really good reasons to use Linux. But I'm, I'm really, you know, Seth is about doing things easily and quickly. Uh, Chris is about having the most options. I'm about getting stuff done. 
Whichever tool lets me get stuff done the best I'm going to use. And there really isn't a best um, between the two. On this laptop, at the time, Windows was the one that could do it best because it had the drivers. Does does Linux have it uh, now? Probably. But I'm already moved into this one. I don't want to do it. The next time I get a new laptop, I'll put Linux on it and see what happens. Yeah. So, you know. That's that's just my mindset and always will be. It's all about getting the stuff done. It's not about brand loyalty or allegiance or down with with copyrighted software or or the, if data wants to be free and if it's not open it's dead. Yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm like I'm the, in the same boat market. It's the best tool, tool for the job. So like right now with my laptop, I also am only running Windows on this laptop, but my work machine has been Linux for two years now, three years, something like that, ever since I was able to convince my boss that Linux is the best for me at work. So, and I haven't looked back at work. And every server I've done, uh, unless they're specifically required to by the software, has been Linux for the last 15 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some things that, you know, I have to run this Microsoft-based thing, and so I run Windows. But, uh, you know, I'm all about Linux where it's useful. And on the desktop, it's very useful, but it's just, uh, you know, my laptop comes with Windows, and there's not a real big reason to change. Probably the next time I buy, I will buy from System76, and it'll come with Ubuntu on it, and I'll use that happily forever or until that laptop dies. <laughs> see, I'm actually looking for a new laptop as of July 1, so we'll see how it goes. See, I crawled back on top of my soapbox again. You guys got to stop me from doing I that. did. I, re I redirected you. So if you guys have any recommendations for laptops, I'm a big fan of a Zeus. So if you guys uh, see one other than the latest, greatest of the Republic of Gaming that ha is having me drool all over myself. so uh, That's what I have. <laughs> That's the next one I want. The new one that just released. And it doesn't support Linux, or at least when I got it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I... I Asus right now is, I think, the best non-Mac hardware on the market. I think Mac has the best hardware. Uh, I think Asus is right, like, you know, uh, if Mac is a 9.5, Asus is a 9.3. Yeah. Uh, and, and HP is a 6.4. Or lower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dell is on, like, a negative 6.4. So, uh... <laughs> I would rate, actually, I personally, I would rate Dell and HP in the same bucket, so... Yeah, a pretty crappy bucket with a lot of holes in it. And uh, <laughs> I was gonna let you say that. I figured you would. <laughs> so I, I guess I won't be uh, pursuing them uh, to uh, give us a sponsorship on this show anytime soon. Well, no, like they can do the whole worst to first thing. You know. Uh, <laughs> you know, we told you before how bad they were. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But if they give us all uh, new laptops, we might think a different story. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've said many times my integrity can be bought. It's a high price, but if you're willing to pay it, dude, I will sell out. Like, no, this will be the Microsoft Action Show. Oh, I, I will do that if that's no, what it comes to. No, oh, <laughs> you give me headache. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but if I'm cutting you in on thirty percent of a whole bunch of money, <laughs> you'll snap to it, won't you? Uh, not liking it, but maybe. <laughs> But he will be running Exchange Online and everything. <laughs> That's right. We will do the show from uh, SharePoint server. Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll... No. I got to say, though, you know, at, at where I work, we use uh, SharePoint for documents. Man, compared to Google Docs, it is just clunky and unwieldy. So um, I really love Google Docs. You know, sure, you don't have all the formatting options in the latest version of Word and Excel, but do do you really need all those formatting options? And for most people, the answer is no. Some people they do need all of that stuff, but well, they just added like four hundred new fonts. So people who say Google Docs doesn't have the formatting, they're they're losing things to talk about every step of the way. Yeah, but you know, but I mean. Like I say, some people need all of the stuff that you can do in Office that you can't do in Google Docs. True. But some people not, do. A very small many. percentage. And, you know, so I love Google Docs, man. It is so awesome. 
but anyway so google all right folks and that's going to wrap up this episode of everyday google uh <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thanks for being with us uh chris do we have a command line tip for this week honestly no i'm out of command line tips that i use from a day-to-day i could dig something up for the next show but i've done all the ones i use every day so unless you guys got something you want me to go into deep detail with um i'm kind of out so the command line godfather is come a time when he should need a favor from you <laughs> that was sad and pathetic yeah I, and i'm ashamed to have done i it. wasn't even gonna go there but you did so how about a command or excuse me an end user tip of the week mr gooey kid dude i found this website this week and i absolutely love it i didn't want to talk about it in the news because i wanted to save it to the end build the enterprise.org it is awesome it talks about building like the starship enterprise from the original star trek with today's technology now obviously there's some things like you know warp core and artificial gravity that you know all of it you can't do it all but it and it's like he lays out a plan and a schedule <laughs> to where you could actually do it. And, I mean, it'll never happen because, uh, and it's kind of sad, because it looks really cool. I went looking around uh, using a lot of existing technology and stuff that is kind of in the theoretical stages now. But, uh, anyway, I just thought it was really cool. And if you've ever, if you're my, you know, if you ever just kind of look wide-eyed at the at the stars and you know you kind of have that romantic notion about the space shuttle and stuff like that man go to buildtheenterprise.org and just look around and just see how what we could do today if we wanted to you know and this dude has never had a date no not once he and the tron guy are right there in the same category how big is the Gen 1 Enterprise? Pretty big. In fact, it will be the largest vessel or building ever built by humans. Read more for more information. Yeah, I think it'll be something like 960 feet or, or I don't know, huge yards. Really big. But it's kind wow. of... You can use waste heat create to, you can use waste heat to create hydrogen on an as-needed basis. Right. So, uh, but like I say, it's just kind of cool. I mean, it is, it's fun to read, but you know, you look at it and you go, dude, I think it is something that, and when I say could, I mean, I believe it is within the ability of humanity to do today, but it will never happen. But it was just kind of cool to look at and read. So he even lays out a timeline and everything on that. So buildtheenterprise.org, keep the dream of space travel alive. It is pretty cool, though. I will give you that. That was aw- That's an awesome site. Design philosophy. Triple redundancy for all systems. Gravity f- f- source. Magnetically suspended gravity wheel. wheel. Uh, human capacity. A thousand persons maximum, including crew and visitors. Constant acceleration. <laughs> Total wet mass. 187 million pounds, or 884,822 metric tons. I mean, this guy has gotten all into it. Emergency power would be a hydrogen fuel cell at one milliwatt each. <laughs> Dang. So, it's. I mean, come on. This is cool. In a geeky or, well, excuse kind of me, one megawatt yeah. each. My mistake. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 1.21 gigawatts. I'm sorry. Yes, until someone invents the flux capacitor, this is all we have is uh, a way <laughs> to build the enterprise today. And I'm a I'm a Star Trek geek, and I got I'm I'm saying that's really cool. But uh, wow, wow, wow! The guy spent way too much time on that. Well, you know, everyone has their their crutch, and that must be his. Yeah. Dude, I, okay. I just I just loved it, and I wanted I wanted to pass it along. I, I'm I'm not making fun of the guy, um, but again, I just think it, it's cool and funny at the same time. So you know, we got people these dreamers out there. This guy wants to build the Enterprise and travel through interstellar space, and NASA doesn't even want to go to the International Space Station anymore. We have to we have to hitch a ride with some other country. Um, you know, there's a there's a disconnect between our leaders and our populace in a big way. Yeah. So keep the romance of uh, 
interplanetary spaceflight alive. And if you have comments about building the Enterprise, about uh, Ubuntu 12.04, about bacon, or about anything else, the place you can uh, make those comments known is at elementsop.com. Hop in the forums, the Everyday Linux forums there. Uh, make a post. Make your wishes known. Uh, again, we are soliciting feedback regarding uh, the direction of the show. This is your show. You need to tell us uh, how to go. Also, we are in a constant need for show topics. We need many, many topics because we are tapped out after 53. Actually, it was somewhere around 42 episodes we were tapped out. And 20. we're stringing them together. 20, Seth says. We're stringing them together on a regular basis. But seriously, we uh, we would uh, appreciate that feedback. You can do that in the forums. You can do that uh, by sending us an email. If you're an email guy at edl at uh, elementop.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter. At Element OP. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Element OP. Check us out there and let your wishes be known. I gotta say, I saw while we're talking about bacon, just to, to end the show, I saw on, um, it was a clip of a video from the a television show. So it's, it's like a third hand down. Um, a guy who made a bacon suit of armor. Nice. Which is, Looks cool. No, actually, it looks pretty gross. Uh, but, uh, you know, was assuming, it for Lady Gaga to wear? <laughs> yeah. Assuming as you're not being attacked by, I don't know, a carnivore of any kind, you know, a bear would call that a meaty appetizer before the main course. It would chase uh, but the it vegans a, away, though. So. <laughs> it does keep the vegans away. <laughs> and on that note, for, for that vegan repellent uh, comment, I will say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>